Hey there, this is Mike, and you're listening to Feeling Twisty. I'm really glad you're here. After my last episode, Boldly Assume, I got a message from a woman who wanted to share her story of healing with me and allow me to share it with you. I had her story and a couple more that I plan to use in today's episode, but things changed a little yesterday afternoon when a woman I hadn't seen in over a decade came over to me in a store parking lot to share a marvelous story of healing with me. I'll get to those two stories in a bit. First, though, I want to share a a little story from me. This was last Thursday, the day before Good Friday. My son, uh, my 20-year-old son, Caius, sent me a text asking me to check his room for his wallet. He didn't have his wallet on him. (laughs) Uh, So I checked his room and in and around his bed, under his bed, in his clean and dirty laundry. No wallet. I told him not to worry, though, that it it will turn up. As soon as I sent him that text, I imagined him calling me and telling me that he found his wallet. In that moment, I knew without a doubt that he would find it. Well, the next day, he calls me from work to tell me that he still hasn't found it. And now he's getting worried because along with some cash, his wallet has his driver's license, debit card, and some other personal things. Nothing that couldn't be replaced, but neither one of us wanted to deal with that over the Easter holiday or the following week. I reassured him that it will turn up. So Caius retraced his steps, going to every place he went that Thursday night. The following day, Saturday, he's tearing up our apartment, trying to find the wallet, huffing and puffing and cursing a few times. I finally told him, Caius, I'm telling you, you have your wallet. I heard you tell me you found it. Now, he knows what I mean by that. And he didn't argue with me. He just said, okay. And then I heard him mumble something under his breath. (laughs) Every time he would complain to me about not being able to find the wallet, I'd remind him of what I had heard. Eventually, though, I stopped responding to him altogether because I knew he would have it. I'd already heard him tell me that he found his wallet. Later that morning, Saturday morning, his nerves had gotten the better of him, and he called the bank and canceled his debit card and told the woman on the phone that he'd be in the bank branch on Monday to completely close out his account and open a new one. When he told me that, I told him that I understand why he did it, even though I know he didn't need to. Well, later that same day, around 7.30 Saturday night, Caius sent me a text. Call me real quick. I did, and he tells me what I had heard him say two days before. I found my wallet. One of his friends walking through the front yard of the fraternity house, happened to look down and saw the wallet lying there in the grass. Now, he has his wallet back. Everything was still in there, his money, his license and debit card. Nothing lost. Well, now Caius is waiting for his new debit card. The one he has in his wallet is now no good because he canceled it. (laughs) And yeah, I told him I told you so. (laughs) 
The next story comes from Graciela Abraham. In her message to me, she said, In August 2018, I discovered a hardness in my breast. It was the size of a tennis ball, and I was afraid. I went straight to the doctor to have it examined, and he told me that it was a massive tumor, and it had to be removed immediately. She goes on to say, I sought a second opinion, but that doctor said the same thing. The tumor was far too large and had to be taken out as soon as possible. I thought about this and decided I really did not want surgery, and this is what I did. I love the boldness in what she did next. She says, I took the medical documents and diagnosis papers and put them all in a drawer so I couldn't see them. My doctor prescribed pre-op medication, but I didn't take them. Whenever my mother or any friend asked me about the tumor, the only thing I would say was, I don't want to talk about it. I didn't want to entertain any conversation about the tumor. I did this so well that family and friends stopped asking me about it. After a month, the tumor had completely disappeared. Now, in her letter, she tells me that she didn't do any imaginal work for the healing. She means no specific technique for the tumor. We are all imagination or consciousness, so everything we do is led by an imaginal act. Consciousness always leads. The physical follows. The physical, what happens in this physical world is just a shadow of what we are already being in consciousness. She didn't work on a scene or do affirmations or anything that a lot of us, at one point or another, get all caught up in and worried about doing the scene properly or saying the right affirmations if that floats your boat. We think we need to do something that someone else tells us to perfectly to get what we want in life. But she knew she didn't. She just refused to give it attention. She knew what she wanted and the tumor in her breast and surgery and anything else that might turn up because of that tumor was not part of what she wanted for her life. So she chose to stop imagining she had the tumor. And instead of allowing herself to talk to her family and friends about it, she shut down any conversation, a complete refusal to give any substance to the diagnosis. Neville says, and, and I know this, that consciousness is the only reality. I will experience in my world only what I allow in consciousness. My third story is from a woman I haven't seen in nearly 15 years. We used to attend the same church. This was yesterday afternoon. I was walking back to my car in a store's parking lot when I saw a woman walking quickly up to me, telling me hi. I didn't recognize her at first, but she told me her name and clarified how I knew her and my uh, memories <laughs> a little bit came back. I kind of remembered where I knew her from. The conversation started as most of those type conversations do. How have you been? How's your family? That kind of thing. I was slightly or partially engaged in the chit chat while I was still thinking about the two 20 pound bags of ice that I had just bought, probably beginning to melt in the backseat of my Explorer. Until she said, I nearly died from cancer four years ago. Well, that grabbed my attention and brought me back to the moment. 
Tell me more, I said. She didn't give me a long, drawn-out story about how it all started. You know, we like to tell the background to people. Like, before I tell you this, let me tell you all of these other things so you understand where I'm coming from. She just went straight to the juicy bits of her story. Where she picked up the story, she was end stage, stage four terminal cancer on her deathbed at the hospital. Doctors even had her on morphine, hoping to give her some comfort as she neared her end here. She said throughout her treatment, and as the prognosis got ever dimmer, she continued to insist that she would be healed, and she continued that insistence on her deathbed. She told me that she was okay with leaving, with dying. She didn't have a problem with it. She wasn't afraid. But she'd rather not do it right now. She wanted to spend more time with her son. So, even on that bed in the hospital, with the morphine dripping into her veins, she continued to insist that the cancer would not kill her. Her son was so convinced that he would tell doctors, nurses, anyone he could find at the hospital that they were wrong. His mother wasn't going to die. I loved this part, the, what she told me. She said, I didn't know how it would happen, but I knew that I would live. And her condition turned around, suddenly began to improve in what many would call a miraculous fashion. And within weeks, the cancer was completely gone. <laughs> Four years have passed and she's cancer-free, enjoying life, living it more fully. This woman doesn't study Neville or any other teachers like that. She still attends church and doesn't know anything about my healing or what I do. She doesn't know about feeling twisty or the law of assumption. Her beliefs are similar to what mine used to be, but that doesn't matter when it comes to the law or manifesting the life you want because we're always assuming something and expressing or encountering our assumptions in the physical world, whether we know it or not, regardless of what religion we are or what religion we are not. <laughs> the Bible says, whatever you desire when you pray, believe you have received it and you will receive it. The Bible's not saying that whatever you Desire you'll get it if you're Baptist or Catholic or Methodist. It doesn't say anything about a religion. It just says you, and that's to you. The only condition is that you get on with believing, believing to the point of knowing that you have it. That's it. Nothing about your past matters. Nothing about diagnoses. Nothing about your family traditions or your society or your government or the price of gasoline at the pump or your education. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation or with what you identify. It doesn't matter at all. You can have, be what you want in this life. Now back to that verse, that's Mark eleven twenty four. whatever you desire, and that word desire, in some translations it says whatever you ask for in prayer, but it also, uh, in the King James, it says whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you've received it and you will. Well, that word desire can be translated as ask, but can also be translated as demand. Whatever you demand, or like 
we used to say back in the charismatic type church, back when I was a teenager, name it and claim it. Name what you want and claim it as yours. They were teaching the law of assumption, <laughs> even though they didn't know it. So claim it, whatever you claim in prayer. And prayer is made up of two Greek words, pros, which means motion toward, and eukamai, which means to wish. So we move toward, we make contact with our wish and its fulfillment within us, within our imagination, within consciousness. We go on from that point, believing, believing to the point of knowing that we have what we previously sought and it will show up in our physical experience as evidence of our imaginal movement. What I experience in my physical world, in my life, is not something I see as a battle or as a problem. I see everything that I encounter as evidence or the reflection of what I'm imagining. I may tr be trying to fool myself, like, well, I'm thinking this, I'm imagining this. Well, I take a look around my life. There's the evidence. There's the evidence that proves to me what I'm actually imagining. This woman in this last story doesn't believe like I do or like you do possibly, but she is operating the law as Neville teaches it. When we move in imagination into the state of our wish fulfilled, we're praying. And prayer isn't done on our knees to some outside being. It's emotion within. It's our imagination. When I am imagining, I'm praying. And I'm never not imagining. I'm constantly moving in imagination or consciousness. I cannot get away from it. I cannot escape God because God is all things. Consciousness is all things. All things exist in it and nothing can exist apart from it. Now, my little wallet story doesn't really compare to the two stories of healing, right? <laughs> but there is a common thread. Each one of us in these stories refused to accept the facts as they were presented to us. In imagination, I heard my son tell me his wallet was recovered, and I refused to waver. Graciela had the diagnosis and prognosis, but refused to entertain it at all. She even slammed the door on any conversations about it. Many of us would likely go ahead and talk about it with our moms, at least, maybe some close friends, to not seem rude. You know, they're our friends and family. They want to know, so let's give them the information. But Graciela refused. She knew that talking about it was giving life to it. So she removed her attention from it and refused to give it any life. The woman in the third story had faith that God would heal her. And she was healed from her deathbed. Now she's still a religious woman. It wasn't something apart from her that decided to heal her though. She shifted in consciousness from seeing the cancer as a death sentence to knowing that she was healed. She refused to accept the facts, even on her deathbed and now has a wonderful story to tell anyone who will listen. And I'm so glad she felt the urge to run up to me and tell me the story. She had no idea of what I do or that I was even inviting others to share with me their stories. But she had that urge to tell me. 
And when I told her what I do and that I'd like to share her story on Feeling Twisty, she was more than happy to give me the permission. I absolutely love hearing from you, and I've gotten a number of stories lately, and I want to thank you for them. And I've gotten many messages, story ideas, and questions, and I'm getting to each and every one of those. Send me your stories, your questions, your topic ideas for future episodes. You can find me at Feeling Twisty on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or at feelingtwisty at gmail.com. Now, I'm not saving your email addresses or your social media accounts. I won't ever use them for anything other than corresponding with you about your questions and your stories. I love you. I'm feeling twisty. Twisty.